If you enjoy the following podcast, please consider supporting the Stream Grace Network. You can set up monthly support through Patreon at patreon.com slash streamgrace. Hello, everybody, and welcome to my little corner of the digital universe. Prepare to dive deep, get real, get close, and find out entirely too much about people you likely don't even know. I am Jeremy Griffin, and these are my conversations. So grab a coffee and get comfortable, because here we go. You're listening to the Stream Grace Network. All right. I'm excited about today's interview. I am with, uh, well, you know what, before we even get into who I'm with, I'll make make him sit quietly. <laughs> but uh, I want to tell you about today's sponsor. Today's sponsor, uh, this podcast actually is brought to you by the letter C, because C is for cookie, and it's good enough for me. Also, the number three. Anyway, so, <laughs> it's not a real sponsor, but you're doing really good about sitting quiet. <laughs> Today with me, I have Rick Fry, the executive director of Oneness Ministries. Rick, how are you? I am awesome and delighted to be here. Man, it's a good day. It's a good day. I, it's really pretty out. It's it's, a pro, it's probably hot, but it's, it's I've been in house all day. It's so. humid. It's humid. It's humid. The temperature is probably 92, 93. But oh, wow. Yeah. All right. Humidity is, it's the worst. It it's is. the worst. So, um, man, thanks for coming. Thanks for having me. For sure. You know, your voice changes on air. I don't know if you know that or not. <laughs> you have this radio voice. I'm trying to be more enunciating. <laughs> enunciating. And if you get in the mic like this, you're like closer, then it sounds really, you know. Sounds There it deep. is. Yeah, see, you're doing great. Um, well, man, I wanted to have you on because of a couple of reasons. Um, I, uh, I have not known you real well over the years. I'm, I've known of you. We've talked mm-hmm. and stuff. We went to church together for a while. And um, uh, you've got a ministry, like I said, Oneness Ministries, executive director over there. And I want to find out more about that. But more importantly, I want to dive in into who Rick Fry is, the man. Wow. I know, right? So give me a once-over while I take a drink of my water. Well, how long is this program? As long as it needs to be. There's no rules. <laughs> um, well, I'm 70 years old. My gosh. It's incredible. Incredible. It's not the right response, is it? No. <laughs> Holy <laughs> smoke. <laughs> and um, I've lived a good life, and unfortunately, I've gone through a divorce. Yeah. And I'm now remarried to the most beautiful and wonderful woman on the planet. It's fantastic. It's fantastic. She's got a good name. I know that for sure. Yep. yep. I'm also married to the same name. Yep. <laughs> Lori is the name. That's right. Well, let's talk a little bit about that. Tell me about how you grew up, man. What, what the, where you lived and the environment there. It, my past is relatively in, interesting. I have lived in every western state except Washington and Oregon. Sometimes we only were there for a few months, but nonetheless, we had residents. Wow. My dad was my stepdad actually was a jack of all trades, and so he did everything from. Mechanic work to to machinist to appliance repairman, and we did went all over the United States doing this stuff. Wow! Yep. Hmm. So it affected a lot. It affected my um, social skills because I was never in school for very long at mm. one school. 
um, and it affected my grades. And I got to a point where I wasn't really interested in school. Yeah. But I pushed through and graduated from high school and two years of college. There you go. Yep. What did you study in college? Just basics or did you get I, down to something else? I was, my interest was arts. I wanted to be an artist my whole life. Yeah. And I became that and spent the last 25 years as a professional artist. Um, I was a bird illustrator and I did landscape paintings, How which cool. was my passion. You know. I started painting here recently. Like, uh, I want to say, let's see, we're recording this in, uh, 2020, the year of reckoning. <laughs> and, uh, I think it was around January, February, maybe even a little earlier now that I started painting. Just pulled some canvas out and said, I decided I'm just going to start painting. It's a lot of fun. It is a lot of fun. It's a tough way to make a living, but it's a lot of fun. I can absolutely imagine it would be. I found it interesting because I, you know, I started, I didn't know what I was going to paint. So um, I always had something in mind and then I'd, I'd throw it out there. And so like, okay, so my typical thing is I visualize stuff, right? And whether it is the way something functions or whether it's a design element. Um, like I do a lot of sound, sound acoustic treatment work, things like that. And so I have in my mind what I want it to be. And so I kind of did that with, with art. I got canvas and I saw what I wanted to do. I was painting with the uh, really thick acrylics mm-hmm. and, uh, and a lot of uh, putty knives and blades and stuff. And so I had this thought and I watched a couple technique videos just to see if I could accomplish what I wanted. And, Every time, it just always got dark. And I remember my wife just saying, she said, oh, I like that. You know, she'd like whatever I did. Mm-hmm. And uh, she'd say, what do you think? I said, I just don't know how I feel about it. And I said, I think it looks kind of neat, but I said, it's not what I set out to do. And that's what frustrates me because I wanted to paint something that I was intentionally painting. And so, uh, so one day she said, is it possible that what's coming out is what's actually in you? And that's what's driving that, you know, like I had my own thoughts, but what was actually coming out was more of my guttural stuff, you know. And and that could be entirely true. However, to interpret what's in your head takes 20 years to be able to um, develop the skill set and to understand color and to understand how to mix color. Mm -hmm. It takes a long time to develop that. So a lot of times when you paint something, you, you don't accomplish what you see in your head right? until you've spent 20 years Sometimes practicing. doing it, yeah. People all the time ask me, well, how do I become a good painter? And I say, well, you got to be willing to be bad at it for a long time. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I am still bad and I'm excited about it, but I do enjoy <laughs> it when I do it. I always make a mess. And I have, I have one canvas left that I haven't painted yet and I just haven't messed with it. But Well, if you're not making a mess, you're not trying. Well, <laughs> then I am trying so hard. <laughs> Oh goodness! So uh, anyway, we that that's fine. We can talk about painting. I don't sure. know why I got on that, but um, so so tell me a little bit about this. So it's your stepdad, yes, right? Mm-hmm. So did you know your biological I, dad? I did. Um, as a matter of fact, he came back into my life when I was in, in my late teens, and uh, I got to spend some time with him before he passed away. But yeah, nice. I, got, I got to spend some time with him. So yeah. how do you think that affected you? Growing up, how do you think it affects you even today, or does it? It, what it affects, I believe, is identity. Yeah. Um, I, I never really got to identify with my real father. 
of course, until I became a Christian, until yeah. I accepted Christ. And then the identity thing shifted. Sure. And then I, my, I learned that my identity is Christ. And, you know, but up until then, I was all over the map with trying to figure out who I am. And I think that's an issue with most men. Yeah, I that, see that. Yeah. Yeah, I had, uh, I've still yet to meet my biological father, and I don't even know if he's still alive. And mm. I've certainly processed how that's affected me in my life. How, how has it affected you? Well, <laughs> I've, I've gone through, through some therapy to figure out how it's affected me. But uh, no, I think that for me, the biggest thing was um, it, is, it is identity. I don't know that I would have even specifically put it that way. But I, I remember this, you know, growing up, it was always me and my mom. And she had, she had married a few times. Um, and then when I was six, she got married to my stepdad who adopted me. Mm-hmm. And, and that's where I get my name Griffin. And, uh, and so I, they were married until I was 16, but, but through that whole process, I always felt like it was just me and my mom, you know, that, that was the identity and understanding the love of a mother to me, I felt like I understood what fatherly love was until I had a kid. Mm -hmm. Right. So when we, um, Lori got pregnant with Gabe, my first son, like the minute I heard his heartbeat was where it changed on the ultrasound. And I thought, whoa, wait a minute. This is a different thing than I interpreted of what fatherly love is. Um, I didn't feel, for example, a protective emotion. I felt protectiveness from, uh, from the mom, right? You get protect the protection, but you don't get the defense, right? So a, a mom's protective at her own peril. A dad is protective more boldly, more like out front, more actively protective. Right. And I just begin to feel that. And I remember, I remember hearing distinctly in my heart, God say, now you're getting an idea of how I feel about you. He said, imagine how I feel about you by comparison. A mom's love is more nurturing mm-hmm. and protective. A father's love, a dad's love, um, gives you a, a point of reference yeah. for how to um, respond emotionally. Responding like my mother never fit. Yeah, exactly. It just never fit, but yeah. that's that was my point of reference, and it resulted in um, me being a passive man. Mm. Because you know, the interesting thing about passive men is they don't realize that they're passive. <laughs> right. We think we're peacekeepers, right? But the whole point is to avoid conflict. Mm. Man, that's good. Mm-hmm. Uh, I did not. My mom was not passive, <laughs> and so I definitely didn't. Pick that up. <laughs> <laughs> I am far from a passive individual. You are. You are but, far from that. Um, but to a fault, and I, and I work on that on the regular. I try to balance it. We'll put it that way. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, man, I think you know one of the things we look at today, for example, as we record this, which is uh, July of 2020, there is a lot of civil unrest mm-hmm. in the country. Mm-hmm. Um, we have the COVID-19 pandemic that has kind of occupied everything in the world. Um, and then we have, um, essentially a social, um, what's the right word? I'm trying to avoid certain keywords that will get us deleted off of different (laughs) platforms, but, um, basically civil unrest over social justice differences. Boy, I felt like that was very politically correct. (laughs) But my point is, you know, one of the things that has been studied about success is having a father in the home, mm-hmm. right? And, and um, there are three things that they say, if you want to be successful, no matter what your demographic is, if you want to be successful, 
to finish high school, don't have kids before you get married, and if a father's in the home. Right. Uh, there's another thing they'll say is have a job. But, but one of the key factors is a father in the home. Mm-hmm. And so uh, when I look at the trend of that not being the case, and in fact, not just the trend, but the endorsement of it doesn't matter at all if a father's in the home, that concerns me. Because I think it does matter. I had my stepdad, Paul Griffin, who I've always called dad. Um, he was a great dad. He didn't have any kids of his own. And I felt like he had a really tough job, given given the fact that the kid that I was to that point, taking on somebody else's child. I can't imagine that in my mind. But, man, he did a great job, which I got to tell him that later in life, which was nice. I think one of the most important components of what we learn from a father is how to deal with responsibility. Yeah. How to make decisions that are not emotionally driven. Mm-hmm. And so sometimes you just have to decide something regardless of how it might feel. Right. Man, that's good. Yeah. So that's what I think I missed out on is learning how to be responsible. Mm. That's tough, isn't it? Yeah. Man, I can see that in even in my life is responsibility is more of a practical decision versus a instinctual one. Right. And that makes it hard all the time. Yes. Um, even in terms of not responding emotionally. That's what I knew to do. Yeah. <laughs> you know. And obviously there's nothing wrong with emotions. As a matter of fact, emotions can't be categorized as right or wrong. They just, just are. are. Yeah. And we all deal with them. We all um, experience them. Uh, the thing that's important is that we don't live there. Yeah. Because you can live in fear, you can live in anger, you can live in whatever emotion you choose, but I don't think we're designed to live there. I think we're designed to experience that and then move men move out of that into being responsible. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. I love that. So, so here's the question I have. So you are the executive director at Oneness Ministries. How did you get from artist to that? There's only one way this can happen, and that is God has called me to this. Amen. Yeah, God has called me to this because I wasn't really interested. I didn't have the courage. If you're going to become a counselor, which is what I do mostly, and you counsel men, there, there there's no room for timidity mm-hmm. in counseling men because a, a man in crisis will eat you up <laughs> if you don't if you don't confront him. Mm-hmm. And a counselor has to be um, willing to confront a man when he's full of baloney. Yeah. <laughs> I'm proud of you. You self-censored. <laughs> I saw it right there. I saw it on your face and everything. Yeah. You know how much editing that's going to save me? I want to thank you from the bottom of my heart. <laughs> baloney. Yeah, there's another word. <laughs> Well, I can definitely see that. Man, I'm enjoying this water. This Nestle Splash Strawberry Melon Water. It's local at your, uh, or it's available at your local grocers. And uh, if you guys want to sponsor, give me a holler. Yes. <laughs> I happen to have, I happen to have the pure life. You Nestle. do. Yeah. I, I never give people the flavored water because it always shocks them. And if I ask them, I forget to ask sometimes because this is my go-to. And so if they take a drink and kind of freak out. So yeah. if you would like that, I can... Ask someone to retrieve it. I'm not. I couldn't be more satisfied. That is fantastic. That was pure life. <laughs> pure life. All right. So, um, who would you say? Now, I'm sure there's many people who've had impact in your life, right? But 
what are some of those and who are they? Who, who sticks out to you that really have made a difference in shaping who you are? I had a pastor. His name was Dal Robinson. Cool name. Yep. He was a missionary in Mexico. And as a matter of fact, he was a linguistic, linguistist. Well, I don't, linguist? Linguist. There, there it is. Thank you. I only know that. A little side note, and I'll let you jump in. But my middle son graduated today. The DLI, which is a school in Monterey, California, for the Air Force, well, for all armed forces, as a linguist. Ah, so congratulations. Thank you. We got to watch it remotely. Yeah. He actually was translated the New Testament into Aztec. Oh, wow. Yeah. Brilliant man. And he came, he was with a group in, at the University of Oklahoma, and he came to Oklahoma and stayed in Norman. And I somehow stumbled into his small church. Hmm. This man had a tremendous impact on me. I was still dealing with passivity and, um, well, you don't deal with passivity because you just are. Yeah. And um, But he encouraged me. He, he represented to me what real manhood looked like. Mm. And he was this guy who was about five foot four, um, ex-marine oh, wow. and just a man of great passion and compassion and he had a tremendous impact on my life so what was something that sticks out specifically maybe that he's is it just his presence or was there circumstances or it was his ability to interpret um, language mm. and he can you can talk to him in English and he can interpret your words yeah and um, say well here's what you're really saying yeah, that's good. Yeah, I like that. So this is something that, I mean, you just hit hit something for me. Um, you know, I talk a lot about when you read the Bible, right? So the, so we have tons of translations right yes. now, right? Yes. <laughs> uh, and those translations are probably more suited to be called interpretations because they're all in English, yes, right? So they're translated into multiple. We do have multiple languages, but when I'm talking, I'm talking about English. So we have uh, interpretations that are in English. And, you know, the original text is, is Hebrew and Greek. And, and there's so many times where there's just not a direct translation. But, but what I always tell people, because a lot of times we'll read a passage. And we'll, let's say we're just reading something that um, Paul said to the church. Mm-hmm. And so he's writing in Greek, if I'm not mistaken. So Paul's writing to the church, uh, or, you know, we'll say the church at Ephesus. And we key in on a couple verses and we say well he said we'll talk about maybe he said the instead of an or you know a change in an article and we establish this truth based on this deep understanding or or not understanding uh, dissecting of of this one key word and i think what happens is i often say this if i said to you right now i'm a little hot you and i because of the context because of you know facial features and body language, you know that what I mean is I'm a little warm. <laughs> but I could have just as easily been talking about my physical appearance, although that's pretty evident that I'm not. <laughs> but it's but there... To the eye <laughs> That's right. So, but my point is, this is two people living in the same time, the same culture, having a conversation, understanding who each other are. And even then, I could have actually meant, no, I'm a little... Huh, I'm pretty attractive. Like I could have meant that, and and you maybe wouldn't have known that, 
because it is a language thing. So our whole point is this. I always, I've made the point that people at their core, they just want to be known mm-hmm. and really known, intimately known. Mm-hmm. And so language is the best way we express our thoughts and our feelings. But unfortunately, language falls so short of really expressing how we feel. Because there's a third, there's a third translation of being hot, and that's angry. That's right. Absolutely. So you can either be temperature, emotionally, or attractive. Yeah. And, that, and, and, and in the future, we may have four or five yeah. <laughs> different ones. But I think that's the hardest thing, right, is for people to convey an idea that's going on in their mind mm-hmm. to another human. And it takes so much more than just verbal communication. So when we take the Bible to come full circle, when we take the Bible and we, we look at that, we do our best to figure out the context. But we're also listening to one side of a conversation. Yes. And if, if I picked up the phone and said something and you heard me talking, and I said, all right, great, love you too, see you in a bit. You would make some assumptions from that. Mm-hmm. You would assume that it was probably my wife knowing the context, but it could just as easily been my son mm-hmm. or somebody else. And so we, we, we make assumptions that we don't realize we make, and I think we get stuck in that. And so I say all that to say when you're talking about this pastor, when you have an understanding of multiple languages and can understand and interpret what what I've learned through people who've learned sign language through my son who just learned Pashto is that there aren't a lot of direct translations for English words. And so being able to convey a concept or an idea is what communication is all about. Right. And so, yeah, I I respect that a great deal. I do too. And I respect it a great deal. And the other thing about, interpreting the Bible. The English is not the best language to interpret Greek. No, well, right, right. It, it's, there's so, you lose so much of, um, there are words that have way more depth in Greek than they do in English. Mm-hmm. And another, another thing, just the word if <laughs> in scripture. And I, and I think of John 14 where, where Jesus says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Well, if is not the right word. It mm. ought to be since. Mm. It ought to be interpreted since because it can be since or seeing that or because of. Wow. But the, the English interpreters decided on the word if. How about that? Yep. And that makes total sense. I mean, even in English today, I can see us using that in place of since, but it's not commonplace. And we certainly think of it as more of a qualifier. Yes. If you love me, then this. Yeah. Because he was talking to the disciples and obviously the disciples loved him. Yeah. Man, that's good. Yep. How about so, that? So, you know, the English, the, the language is a huge thing, yes. Mm. And being able to interpret language um, based on what you know of other languages and also facial expressions and body language, being able to read that is very important in doing counseling. Yeah, I can see that. Yep. I know I've been uh, in staff meeting environments before where I've needed to call in, and I hate it. Mm-hmm. I hate I can't do it. Because it's like, I need to know what you, I don't, when I'm communicating, I look at a person, are you understanding me? I cannot figure that out by saying, do you understand? Because right. they're going to say yes. Right. Almost always. Almost, Almost <laughs> and, always. And so I love it when they say no, you know, because a lot of times when someone will ask me a question, I'll even say, ask me another way. Because I don't, I don't think I'm about to give an answer that makes sense to what they're asking, you know. Mm, awesome. But but that is the thing that and that's wisdom actually. <laughs> well, I appreciate that. I don't know. <laughs> but but for me, you know, I think that's the thing is body language is everything. And and it's like, okay, so I had this Doberman and I've for the sake of everyone in the building currently, 
have locked him away. <laughs> Thank you. But he is um, a tremendous guard dog, right? But one of the things that I've noticed with him, you know, I've always known this about dogs, is about the sensing of fear, right? Mm-hmm. If they smell fear on you, they say. Now, I don't know if it's an actual smell, but I, I really understand this concept of sensing it because um, what I found about this dog, if anybody is in our house that is not one of the griffins who live here, mm-hmm. then he will not attack. He barks and puts them up against the wall. He holds them. And, uh, and what's so interesting is even if they are around, if someone gets nervous around him, he'll start growling and barking. He senses that. And so it's, uh, and, and more importantly, I think he senses it. He takes his cue a little bit off of me too. Right. And so it's a, it's a symbiotic relationship between whoever the guest is and that dog and myself. He senses from me, but he also senses from them. So if, and they, sense for me. What I was going to say is I think that humans have that same thing. I do too. We fully understand and we feel that when there is a sense of genuineness and trust, it doesn't come from words. No. It comes from what we radiate to somebody else. Mm-hmm. They feel that in us. And so, yeah, I think that's way more important than words. And there's a there's another component that is hugely important and we don't talk about it much for some reason is the presence of Holy Spirit mm. interpreting in us what I, I sit in a counseling room and I have a guy next to me and he's going on and I go, I got nothing. I have no idea what I'm going to say to this guy. Mm, yeah. And all of a sudden I hear in mm. my head, ask him this question. Yes. And it leads to another question. So it's Holy Spirit um, communicating from me to him. And that has happened a lot. Yeah. And somebody will come to me a few weeks or months and say, you said this to me. And I will say, I do not remember saying <laughs> Right. That. Exactly. Yeah. Man, I've been there too. That's good. Yeah. That's really cool. Yeah. It's even, even like this interview, like, you know, I put down a couple notes, but I, 90% of the questions I've asked you are not in my notes to ask you. They're just, <laughs> we're having a conversation. Yes. I like that. That's why it's called the conversations, the conversations. podcast, because yep. we're just going to talk about it. But I do have. Oh, well, you know what? I do want to uh, press you a little more on this one. Is there anybody else? Yes, there is. Um, and I've forgotten who it was. <laughs> <laughs> Clearly, massive impact. <laughs> well, yeah. Um, it's hard to choose sometimes, and I get, and especially since you had no idea I was going to ask that question. There are two guys, two more guys. Okay. And one of them is Steve Eden, mm-hmm. and the other one is Andrew Farley. I know one of them well, and I've heard one of them a lot well i know them both really well Mm. and they are they are they're polar opposites pretty much in the way they present the gospel and present god's message um but they are equally impactful in how they um hear god and articulate what god is speaking to them to other people Mm. Yeah. And they have had a massive impact on me. Um, but Steve Eaton still, I mean, we, we had had him at our last staff meeting, and he's an amazing, amazing communicator. Yeah, I agree. He's part of our Stream Grace Network. Oh, good. So I'm oh, excited yeah. about that. I've seen it, yeah. Yeah. Yep. Um, man, I have a, my Steve story is I was a teenager when I met Steve. Hmm. Uh, I'm 44 today. Not today. I turned it July. But, yeah. So um, I was probably 17, and I... I was struggling with several things in my life, and I went to him, and I just laid it on the table. Man, I'm struggling with this. And he just approached it with such grace. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I just will never forget that. You know, it was just 
There's something different about him. He's a prime example of a man who hears God and speaks what he hears. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, none of us are perfect. It's easy for us to put anybody that has impact. You know, I think about the, that question. I, I ask it to a lot of people right. outside of this context. I'm curious, you know. Um, and it's easy for us to put folks on the pedestal and then, you know, we get we get kind of messed up through that whole process if there's any failures, you yeah. know. Um, but, but, man, if there's somebody who can safely live on that pedestal i think he's Steve. he's pretty <laughs> pretty close <laughs> yeah. Yeah. well let me ask you this is there a key moment in your life good or bad that you would say um became a uh, a direction changer a turning point something that happened that really adjusted your trajectory yes would you is. be willing to share it <laughs> with us sure fantastic um, I, I talked about the passivity thing. Mm-hmm. Um, towards the end of my marriage, um, I, as a passive man, you you deal with life with the sole intent of avoiding conflict. Mm-hmm. Whatever you have to say, whatever you have to um do to avoid conflict you are all in on that and you know and this woman I was married to she was a she was a good person and I just would do whatever she said resulting in her having her having lost respect for me mm-hmm. um, so towards the end of this um, there was an issue that came up and I was struggling with it and I heard God say to me I am changing you at this moment forever forward. You are no longer a passive man. Hmm. And he flipped a switch. Somewhere there's a switch yeah. that he flipped, and I changed completely from a guy who would never say no to a man who stood up to this woman who didn't respect me. Hmm. And I lost the marriage because I stopped saying yes. Yeah. And I stopped being... You, you technically were no longer the man she married. I technically was no longer him. I, and um, um, we had these incredible fights because in the past I would say, okay, you're right, I'm wrong. And my definition of uh, passive-aggressive behavior is to say, okay, you're right, and I won't do that anymore, and then go into the other room and flip her off. Yeah. And that's, you know, that's what I did. Yeah. And my my... Sole purpose became escapism. I became involved in camping, and I went camping two or three times a month. Mm. I was gone weekends. That was the other benefit of being in the arts, because I could do art shows, and I would travel all over the country doing these shows. So I was gone a lot, and I didn't have to deal with um, um, my passive issues, because I was out trying to sell art. Which is difficult when you're passive because, oh. <laughs> right? <laughs> They're like, "Oh, that's interesting. Oh, it sucks. You yeah. don't want it." <laughs> Here's all the things I did wrong. Look exactly. At- <laughs> you see that right there? Oh my god! I know you didn't notice it, but look at it now. <laughs> Doesn't it just suck? <laughs> you made some. You're truly a starving artist, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, that moment when God said to me, "This is no longer you. This is you." Now I have to and. I'm sure it won't surprise many of your listeners. I was um, addicted to pornography mm. this whole time. And I would pray, God, take this away, take this away. And he wouldn't. 
And I would go, why? And he goes, because you're not ready, which is a devastating thing for God to say when you're dealing with something as hideous as and in, in, was insidious, insidious yeah. as pornography. Um, he said, no, you're not ready. At the moment he took passivity away from me, he said, you are free from pornography. Mm. And he said, and he added, actually, you've always been free from it. You just didn't believe you were. Mm. You know, we our sin habits cause us to sit in a prison, prison cell with the door wide open. Yeah, man, that's good. And we just sit there because we think we're trapped. Mm-hmm. But we are free. Christ set us free for freedom's sake. Yeah. And so I experienced my freedom. Hmm. It's still there. Right. Um, it's, I, I know the triggers and I'm able to resist. Yeah. Because I'm free. And it does, it used to define me. Pornography defined me. Uh. I was a scumbag living in a, living a Christian life. Mm-hmm. And I just couldn't, God will never use me. I just can't be used because of this behavior. Yeah. And God says, behavior is not the issue. It's who is in you that is the issue. Man, that's good. It is Christ. Yeah. So um, that was the moment that I realized my real identity. Mm-hmm. Now I'm in the process of believing everything that's true about that idea. Right. Yeah. Right. That's a that's its own lifetime journey, really. Yes. Yeah. yeah. You know, it's funny. I, I uh, took the sabbatical earlier this year and uh, went to a retreat center here in Oklahoma City. It was really good. I, I didn't know much about it. It was recommended to me, so I thought, okay. And uh, it was an intensive one-week deal. You just We didn't stay the night or nothing. It was just during the day. And um, I don't mind saying it on the podcast, but I don't know. I, I'm just not going to right now for the sake of it. If anybody wants to know, just hit me up. I'll tell you where it was. Um, but uh, And you can hit me up at streamgrace.com. There's a like a little envelope in the top corner that you click and it'll email me. <laughs> but, um, but what, what was interesting is the, when we were there, I, I didn't, I literally had no idea, you know, a lot of these things, like for example, um, if you're going to go to a place for chemical dependency or something, you, you know, going into it, well, I didn't know what this was for. And I'd read some stuff, but it was, and it was on codependency, but I didn't even really know what that meant. Like I used to say, I was codependent. I would say socially codependent. Me and for me, what that meant is I don't want to ride in the car by myself anywhere. <laughs> so, um, which is not what that means. But, <laughs> but um, what was interesting to me is when we got in there, they started going around the room, all of the the different therapists, and then also the other three guys that I was there with, and they would say, you know, what what is your addiction? And I thought I don't, I don't have an addiction. Like I didn't, I couldn't process. I'm like, what am I addicted to? And so I'm, I'm kind of nervous now because not just that, but even the different therapists were talking about addictions like pornography. They'll, they were talking about, you know, alcohol, drugs, um, girls, the standard stuff, you know, chemical abuse. And I'm like, I just, that's not a thing for me. I, I, you know, I'm not lying to myself. I really just doesn't matter. I'm like, what am I addicted to? And then I, it hit me. And right as it hit me, one of the therapists basically said the same thing, a different word. But what I heard was productivity. I'm addicted to productivity. Mm-hmm. And I, I thought, well, I'm not sure what that means. It sounds awesome. <laughs> it sounds like a really good, a good quality. A good addiction. <laughs> exactly. And so one of the therapists said, you know, his, his name, or as a girl, I think, yeah, she said her name and she said, I'm addicted. I'm a workaholic, basically. Mm-hmm. And I thought, man, I have hid behind that 
in my life because I was, um, I just always did a bunch of things. No one thing could keep me occupied long enough. Um, and, and, you know, I didn't want to sit around ever. And I realized, I say that to say this, that what was going on for me was addicted to accomplish accomplishment was about value. So I had no value unless I was accomplishing something, not just doing accomplishing, which another word is succeeding. So even if, if there's a, a failure, I did everything in the world to mitigate failure. And what that meant was because I did a lot of things that had never been done before. So there's a lot of research. There's a lot of um, prep going into it. But the, the bottom line is I was getting my value from it. And what was, what was interesting is in my career over the years, I found myself, I called it getting bored. And what it was, was that I got to a point where I had accomplished everything I could accomplish in the practical. And as far as I was concerned, I was no longer of any value to that organization. So spending most of my time as a worship leader over the last 25 years, um, I would go to a church. The best thing I could ever do is go to a church that had a fledgling department or no department at all, right? Because now I got a lot of work ahead of me. And I'd build it up to a point where we'd have multiple worship leaders, multiple teams, lots of volunteers, and then I'd be done. Like, where else can I go? You know, I could have more teams, but even then, at some point, you hit a point of diminishing returns where that's bad for people. And so I would leave. I'd quit because I'm bored. And it's like, that's not, that's not right. What it was was I was feeling of no value because I wasn't accomplishing. And so when I got a hold of this reality, and this this even happened a little before I went to this, this uh, retreat, but that... And, I, and you'll really appreciate this as an artist, this, this reality that my value is, is based on the price that's paid for me. Mm. And so, you know, I thought about a painting and the paintings that I had been doing. And I, to me, they're, they're not even worth the, the contents of them, right? The paint that's on the, on the, on the canvas. And then the canvas probably has some value because you could paint over it or something. But, but it's worth very, very little. But if someone were to walk in and offer twenty thousand dollars for that painting well now it's worth twenty thousand dollars so in the same light i recognized in me my worth has zero to do with what i do it only has to do with what somebody pays for me and christ paid it all for me and so this intrinsic value that we all have because he did that for everybody beginning to recognize that allowed me yes i still want to produce stuff and yes i still want to accomplish things but it doesn't give me my value if i I, I can say this with all honesty, and it's a work in progress, but I can honestly say if God said, I just want you to sit on your couch and chill and just just don't worry about anything, <laughs> I would say, okay, let's do that. The problem with a performance-based mentality, and even though we accomplish what we set out to, it's still never enough. Yeah. It's never enough. That's why, that, that's why grace is so important. Mm. Because if we perform for God, in order to receive the righteousness that he gives us through grace, it's never enough. Yeah. We can never get there. And I, too, am a, am a man who needs to, who placed my value on how good I was mm. at what I was doing. Yeah. Even in passivity, I still... You're really good at being passive. I was, I was <laughs> one of the best. <laughs> Got an award one year, right? <laughs> but as a painter, 
it was never good enough. Mm-hmm. And I, I accomplished a lot in my 22 years as a painter. Um, but I too got bored with it because mm-hmm. I begged God, make me, allow me, give me the skill sets to be a painter. And I accomplished that and I got there and then I go, I don't want to do this anymore. Yeah. And that was embarrassing to me mm. because how hard I worked and how much time and resource I invested in getting to a place where I could produce what was in my head. Yeah. And I got there and I go, I just don't want to do this anymore. Mm-hmm. And I, I remember praying. I remember praying this to God. God, I, 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 I want to apologize. Um, you have been so gracious to me to let me do this and make money at this. And now I don't want to do it anymore. I think I want to do photography. Hmm. And Jeremy, I heard him say, great, let's go do it and let's have fun. Man, that's awesome. It was so awesome to hear him say, I don't care about that. I care about you. Yeah. I care about where you want to be. And I go, well, you've given me all this talent. He said, that's right. And I'm going to use it in this area too. Yeah. You're not limited to art. You're not limited to painting. Let's go explore other things and have fun. When God said, let's go have fun, I was washed with a freedom that I'd never experienced before. Man, I can imagine. That's awesome. I've got a similar process. Uh, I think that you'll like this. When I was, uh, let's see, it was probably close to 10 years ago. I had been in ministry for about 15 years at that point, and I, man, I didn't like church at all. And this is something I'm sure you and I are going to talk about in the future a lot because <laughs> I've got a, another podcast I'm working towards about this. But I, I struggle with church being what, uh, what I thought God wanted it to be. And so I, uh, I quit. I didn't know what I was going to do. And I ended up not doing any church work for about two years. I did some ministry out of my house, but um, as far as working for a church, it was definitely not. And um, I was in this long revelatory process. I felt like I got up every morning because at that point I was doing freelance audio work for sports teams here in Oklahoma City. And so if I was ever doing anything, it was in the evening, you know, at an event or something. And so during the day, I would sit at home and uh, my youngest son was newborn, so I kind of took care of him in general. But... um, I started having this, these processes of thought and it was weird because it's kind of like a vision. It just happened every day and it was just picturing this. And it was like, I was sitting out there in this desert and I had a tent and I got up in the morning and I just look around and there's nothing to do, you know? And, uh, so I said, well, God, what am I supposed to do? And he'd say, well, what do you want to do? And I was <laughs> like, well, I don't know. And he's saying, well, then do that. It's <laughs> like, okay. So then that went on for like a couple days and then I don't know, maybe the third or fourth day, I get up and I said, well, God, I mean, what am I, what do you want me to do today? And he says, I don't know. What do you want to do? And I look around and there's, you know, the, the desert is becoming more clear of what is around me, you know, and I see some rocks and I thought, well, that'd be kind of nice to set up like a little rock garden area by this tent. And I said, what about that? And he goes, yeah, sure. Let's do that. I love it. So we, we built this little rock garden, you know, and, and so things like this went on for, cause this was a, like a three month process mm-hmm. of daily dealing with this. And that went on. And in my brain, right, in my mind, in my spirit, really, I began, I built this place in the desert, this retreat. And, you know, I got up one day and I said, well, this is all done. Now what? And he said, what do you want to do? I said, you got to stop asking me that. 
<laughs> and I said, well, let's go, let's explore. He goes, yeah, let's go explore. And so I just start walking in one direction for however long, and I just see this expanse, and this desert's just massive, right? And so that goes on for a few days, and I just walk in different directions. Well, well one day I walk in another direction, and it's not even far from, from where this home is, right, this little camp. And I walk in this direction with the Lord, and just over one rise, we're talking, you know, half a mile away, where every other direction I was walking 10 miles, you know. Half a mile away is this river, this stream. And I said, wow, this is beautiful. And he's like, yeah, this is, it's been here the whole time, you know, this river. And so I, I would visit the river then for the next couple weeks. We'd go to the river, and I'd throw rocks in. I'd dip my toes in. And he'd say, he never, I'd always ask him, and he'd always turn it back on me, what do you want, you know? And then eventually he made only one suggestion and he's like, why don't you get in the river a little more? Why don't you get a little deeper in there? Well, okay, Lord, you know. <laughs> and so one day I get there, and there's a canoe on the side of the bank. And he said, why don't he said, what do you want to do today? And I said, I want to leave. I want to leave this place, you know, because I built this massive place in the desert. And I'm like, no, I want to leave this. And he, and he showed me about getting in this river. And uh, so we got in the canoe, started going down the river. And the first thing that happened, I went around a couple bends and I started hearing the sound of a rushing water. And the water got a little faster. And I could tell I was coming up on a waterfall. And I was getting very apprehensive, very nervous. And he said, do you trust me? And I said, well, yeah, but <laughs> I mean, I don't want to go over a waterfall if I don't have to, you know. And he said, just, you said you trust me, let's just do this. And so we come around a corner, I'm not going over any waterfall there's a waterfall feeding into this river. Mm. And that's what I was hearing. And so what the Lord taught me in that moment, he said, he said, Jeremy, there are three ways that you can do this life. You can get in this canoe, this river, and you can paddle upstream and avoid what I have for you. But all that's going to happen is you're going to get tired and worn out. And eventually you're going to just crumble and fall asleep. And guess what happens? You're still going to float down river and end up where I want you to be. Amen. He said, or you can get in this river and you can paddle downstream and you can wear yourself out and you can see all sorts of stuff, but you're, you're, you're not going to see much. You're going to be avoiding rocks. You're going to be paddling really hard and everything's going to be going by really fast. And when you get to where I want you to be, you're going to be there way sooner than everything else. So you're going to be waiting in that spot for a really long time for everything else to come into its timing. He said, or you can sit in the boat, pull your hat down, pop open a drink, and enjoy the ride. Amen. And I will get you there in my timing, and I will take you there. The current will take you. And just showed me that, you know, he was that, he was the driving force behind everything. Yes. And while there are times where you see the, you may feel the earth tremble, you may see the water speed up and hear those rapids coming, uh, the, the reality is that God is always sovereign and he is taking us where he wants us to go and 99 percent, if not more of our hardships are self-inflicted in a resistance to his flow amen it's the resistance is just not trusting him right that's all it ever was that's all it ever was and he is he's so faithful how many times did he say to you right yeah. what do you you know you want to all right let's go do the photography yeah. what do you say to me what do you want to do yeah. he's we get caught up 
I think especially young people get really caught up in God, what do you want? God, what do you want? Mm-hmm. He wants you to be you. And how many times have we prayed that? God just tell me what to do. Mm-hmm. You just tell me what to do. I will go do it. And I've said that. God just, I don't know what to do. I don't know what, I don't know what you want with this new ministry. I don't know what you want us to do. What do you want? And he goes, okay, I'm going to tell you what I want. I want you to trust me. Mm. And I go, no, no, you don't understand. <laughs> <laughs> no, I need more. Come on. Come on. Lay it I, on I me. Need, I need action. I need to be doing something. Mm-hmm. And he goes, trusting me is a lot harder than you think. It is not That's easy. True. It is not easy to trust God. Mm. And especially for those of us who want to perform, right. who want to accomplish. Because you give me that paddle and I'm going downstream. Yeah. And you know, as you were telling me that, I've, I've thought about trips that I've taken and, and my focus was where the trip ends up. Yes. And I missed everything that was around me. Right. That I could have enjoyed. Yeah. Because I was so focused on something else. Mm-hmm. I found my, man, that's a good word right there. Being you, You're focused on the destination and you miss the whole journey. Right. So there's joy in the journey. This is, yes. you know, our cliche word. But, you know, I found even in my own life, the kind of games I play on my phone, they're not games that you can get to the end. No. They're games that will always and perpetually last. And I realize that my soul longs for an unending journey, which is the life of Christianity, the life of being the son of the living God. Yeah. Because, a son. Because it's not measured by time. That's right. It's continual. It's always. Continue. That's, that's, that's the definition of eternity. It has no beginning and it has no ending, so you can't accomplish anything. Anything. <laughs> you just get to enjoy the presence of God. Right. Man, I want so badly my 21-year-old to feel that and my 20-year-old. And that's a tall order. That is a tall order for a 21-year-old. <laughs> but I'll tell you what, I think this is incumbent upon us as, as Christian men, Christian leaders, to propagate that mindset. It, we know they're not going to receive it 100%, but, but when they're 35, you know, how old are you? 70. 70. I'm 44, and we're learning these things still. <laughs> Maybe we can speed up the process, get them in a little earlier. You know, one of the things I used to say about my oldest son, because he wants to be, when he was in kindergarten, they asked him what he wanted to be when he grew up, and he wanted to be a worship leader like his dad. He, he's gone that route. Mm-hmm. And, you know, my goal for him is, because I started pretty early. I was in full-time ministry at 19, so I, I got in really early. And so he's measuring his everything he does by that standard. And I try to, like, no, you can't measure any of it by that standard. Because most people I know got into full-time ministry in their not most people I know, but a lot of people, the earliest they're in is like mid to late 20s. Right. And so I said, um, my goal is that from a functioning standpoint, you're ahead of me by a couple of years. So I'm going to sow into you experience and processes so that you can be a couple of years ahead of me, no matter as far as your skill sets and understanding of things. But mm-hmm. if we can do that with the idea of teaching our, our next generation to rest in him, you know. As a father, <clears throat> I have three sons. Um, and two daughters, um, and I want to answer questions for them, but I can't answer the questions until they ask, ask them, because the answer is meaningless unless right. it exists. The question exists in their head. That's really good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Man. Um, okay, this is good. I don't really want to move on, but but I am going to move on. Okay. <laughs> I do like this, but I think we'll get into some other good stuff. So. Um, we talked about this moment of impact um, 
that shaped you in this process going through, you know, figuring out that you were passive. Um, you know what I feel like right now? I do feel like a little bit like a therapist. I want to, I want to switch. I want to say things like, um, so tell me about your childhood. <laughs> tell me about it. No, but, um, tell me about some disappointments that you've had. And, and when I say disappointments, you know, I'm talking about really, really affect like, man, <laughs> this is not what I expect. This is not what I thought or hoped for. Okay, this is. I, I will use this example. This just happened recently. I love to play golf. I totally suck at it. Um, <laughs> yeah. And I'm working. And it's one of those things that we were talking about earlier. I got, I have to accomplish this. Yeah. I am sick to death of being the worst golfer on the course. If we go play golf. You won't be. <laughs> I will help you with that goal. So I have determined that I am going to practice. And I spend three hours a week, Saturday morning and Sunday morning, I go hit golf balls. And Jeremy, I'm brilliant on the on driving, driving range. range. <laughs> I, uh, not, a, not a single slicer hook, huh? There are some. <laughs> <laughs> but the, the bad shots are reducing, and that's the whole point of golf. You hit less bad shots and more good shots. Yeah. So I'm on the driving range, and I'm going, oh, I can't wait to play. I can't wait to play. And I have this friend who's a retired military man, and he's a really good golfer. And I set up a time for he and, he and, and uh, his son and his wife and me to go play golf. And I'm going, I'm going to really impress them. <laughs> and I get out there, and my first, my first shot was I hit the ball on the heel of the club and sent it in the trees 10 feet away. Yeah. And it went down from there. <laughs> And after that round of golf, I had to deal with a disappointment that I hadn't experienced. Hmm. I had this expectation of being much better than I played. And I, I went home that evening, and I didn't talk much, and my wife asked me what's wrong, and I go, I don't know, There's just, I don't know, I don't want to talk about it. And then the next morning, I said, I couldn't talk because of how disappointed I was at my inability to perform on the golf course as I did on the driving range. Because I thought, I'm going to kill it. Mm -hmm. And the reason I, I, I bring that up is that God operates in contrasts. You can't, you can't enjoy um, success if you haven't enjoyed failure. Yeah. Hmm. And failure is something, and this is totally opposite of what we think. Failure is something that's important. It's important to fail. Yeah. Therefore, it's not a failure. Right. It's, it's scary how similar we are. <laughs> it's, it's a rung. God never moves backward. Mm. But you can move forward and not meet expectations mm -hmm. that I have. Now, I totally meet God's expectations because he knows me. Right. And so what are my greatest disappointments? I, I guess what I'm disappointed the most in is that I never realized how important being disappointed is. Yeah. That's good, man. Yeah. It's very interesting. Yeah. This is what I used to say in, in leadership is that people would say failure is not an option. And I'd say, right, failure is not an option. It's a requirement. It's a requirement. Yeah. If Enjoy you, it. You cannot know what success is if you've not failed. That's right. 
you just can't. And and uh, I also, along those same lines, when I was 20, 21, Lori and I were having a fight one day. And uh, a lot of people, what she, what my wife tells me today, she says, I'm sick of you being right all the time. And when she says that, what I hear is, I'm sick of you thinking you're right. And so I'm like, I don't think I'm right. And she goes, no, no, no. I'm sick of you actually being right all the time. Now, I'm not right all the time, by the way. I do pick my positions <laughs> so that it's, you know, favors my, me and that. Weighted. Exactly. But, but one of the things I learned when I was in my early 20s, she came home, we were arguing about something, and she made a point, and I was wrong. And I had this moment, and I think, I don't know how many people do this, but I thought, okay, she's right. I'm aware of it. Now what am I going to do? And all that happened, obviously, super fast, right, in your brain. Mm-hmm. And so I just said, you're right. I just told her, you're right. Well, she got so mad at me. She thought I was being sarcastic. <laughs> <laughs> and she, she said, oh, come on, you know, or whatever she did. I said, no, I'm serious. You, you, when you made this point, you're right. I hadn't processed that. You're correct. What do you want for dinner? You know? <laughs> and so I learned the secret to always being right is to admit when you're wrong. Yeah. That's it's when the turn happens, you know? And so, um, you know, in that same vein of failure, you have to fail to understand. And, and when you learn that little small version of saying, okay, I'm wrong. Now, it doesn't mean that I'm free of conflict. I have conflict all the time sure. in my life. And people that disagree with me and get frustrated with me and I disagree with them. But my goal is never to win. My goal is to improve myself and them to be able to fully understand. So if I'm wrong, or not wrong, if, if I'm in an argument, the goal is that we bring better understanding and whatever it is we're working towards is a better thing. Let me tell you what I know about women. <laughs> <laughs> it's gonna not take very long. Yeah, I was gonna say, that's fine. We, we got plenty of time for that. <laughs> is that when my wife says, I am tired of you being right all the time, she's not telling me that I'm right. What she's telling me is that I'm not listening. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. Sorry, Lori. Not <laughs> not your Lori, my Lori, when she listens to this. Yeah, because women, I, I, I'm going to make an assumption that most men, and I'm going to include you and myself, we marry up. Oh, yeah, no. And you're I'm, right. I married a woman <laughs> who's right. way smarter than me. And she comes to me and she asks me a question. <laughs> And the thing I've learned is that she doesn't want an answer. She has the answer. She just wants to process. Yeah. And I want to. I want to give her an answer, get it fixed, and then watch TV. Yeah. That's you know. <laughs> right. Okay. Here's what you need to do. Now, can I have the remote? Exactly. <laughs> Women have to have us listen because that's how they process. Mm. And she already knows the answers. She already knows what to do. She just needs to talk about it. Yeah. And I don't want to listen. I want to fix it. Right, right. I want to fix what she's saying. And I'm right. Right. And she goes, I'm sick of you being right. <laughs> yeah, that's good. My wife and I tend to flip-flop on a lot of the standard gender things. Like, for example, a lot of men clam up in arguments and women want to talk it out. Right. We're reversed on that. She really? clams up, I want to talk it yeah. out. It's worked well when we do couples counseling together. Um, because she'll visit with the wife, 
but she's able to give the perspective of what that guy is often going through, especially when that's part of the conversation. And and I'm kind of the same way when I'm talking to the guy. I'm like, look, I know you want to not talk about this, but but she can't. She gets no resolve if you're not talking. No resolve. And And that's why they can say, well, you did back in 1983. This. Or that's what I say to Lori. But yes, not 83. We didn't know each other in 83. But yes. I was alive at 83. I was alive. I was watching, uh, uh, well, I was getting excited about Back to the Future. And oh, yeah. Marty McFly. Yeah, Marty McFly. Yeah. I don't know. That's probably 85. Well, man, I think that's uh, this is all good stuff. If you're listening to this podcast right now, and, uh, man, we're just blessed to have Rick here. Thank you for listening. This is good stuff. A um, couple more questions, and then we'll wrap this thing up. Um, what... Uh, Man, I don't know which... I, I have more, a lot more than a couple, so I'm trying to pick and choose this. Um, okay, this is going to be kind of the last negative question if we're going to talk about negatives. Not that, you know... Regret. Okay. Regret. So, so there it is. Let's, let's just talk about what, what is something in your life that you truly regret and wish if you, if you had... Not, I shouldn't say if you had to do all over because I think, you know, our, everything's shaped who we are today is shaped by all sorts of things. But what is it that you regret the most in your life? Wow. <laughs> I know. That's a tough one. Because there's so many things I regret. Mm. But at this in my point in my life, I don't live with those regrets. Yeah, it's good. Yeah, um, I regret... The first time I found, and I remember this, I remember this garage shack thing that was in, I found what you, they used to have these detective magazines. Mm. And I, I probably couldn't have been more than eight or nine. And I looked at that magazine and I saw partially naked women. Mm. And that began this process of, I want to see more. Mm-hmm. And you know, probably 90% of the people that are listening to you are not going to agree with this. I'm not sure pornography is the big sin we make it out to be. Because I've asked God, I go, why why is this? He said, you know, I created all of that. I created the female body. I created sex. It's all my creation. Now, some people have perverted it. Sure, yeah. And taken it to an extreme that... um, it's unfortunate. Mm-hmm. It's the problem with pornography is that it's not good for me. Right. It's not good for the person involved in it. It it is a distraction. And I think that the one thing Satan wants to do is kill us, but he can't. He doesn't have the uh, freedom to kill us. So what can he use to distract us mm-hmm. from who God is and from who God says we are? Mm-hmm. And I regret that I went down that path that caused me to be distracted for so, so many long. years mm-hmm. about who I really am in Christ. Yeah. Um, I don't live there anymore. I, I can't. Uh, there are a lot of things I should be ashamed of. Uh, maybe I am ashamed of, but I don't live in shame. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. There's a verse in John 14. And I can't, I don't know the number, but it talks about, I will, uh, I will be in you and with you forever. 
The word forever in the original language is two words, hmm. for and ever. The for means that, um, and I can't remember the Greek word, but it has to do with you being changed. Hmm. Your future changes, but not only does your future change, your past changed. Wow. And ever means in perpetuity. Hmm. It will never end. So now, and I want men to hear this, that in Christ, your past is Christ, your future is Christ, therefore the enemy has nothing to accuse you of mm. because who you were is dead. Who I was, who this guy who enjoyed, I enjoyed it, looking at naked women, is dead. Mm. All of that activity is dead. It does not exist because now my past is Christ. Yeah. Wow. I wish I'd have learned that sooner. Yeah. Man, that's good. I love uh, you disclaimered that with 90, at one point you said 90% of our listeners won't necessarily agree on our website. It says uh, you will likely not agree with everything (laughs) that we say. Um, And that's true. That's not the point. That's not the point. That's not the point. The point is that I am no longer my past. That's right. That's good. Gosh, that's good. All right. So two more questions. The first one is, tell me about your most rewarding time in ministry. Now, a lot of these, let me just say this too. A lot of these are your most, your, you know, your biggest, your whatever. Right, whatever comes to mind. Tell me about a rewarding time in ministry that has Im- impacted you. Having left the arts and having responded to God's call to, into counseling men, I had a passion for men for men's uh, identity Mm. and actually getting to talk to men and reveal the truth about their real identity and then having them come to me weeks, months, years later and say, what you said changed me. Mm -hmm. And getting to do that, getting to be the knife in the drawer that God uses in men's lives is the most rewarding thing I've ever experienced. That's awesome. Yeah. Hmm. And I take I can take no credit for it because I'm not smart enough to know what Holy Spirit says mm-hmm. through me. Yeah. So to answer your question, that has been... And then getting to move from... We were involved in Scope Ministries. That's where I got my training. And getting to move from that into Oneness Ministries, God moved us into this, has been incredible to see him provide things that we had no idea how that was going to happen. Hmm. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. So um, we're going to wrap up with one thing here and and it'll be, you'll have the floor, so to speak. But um, I just want to encourage those who are listening to check out uh, your podcast on the Stream Grace Network. Rick's (laughs) going to have... um, one for me. We don't have a title for it as of the recording of this. Well, maybe you do. I do have. Yeah, what's your title? It's going to be called Inside the Man Box. Inside the Man Box. That's right. I do remember that now. Yeah. Um, so check that podcast out. You can go to streamgrace.com to get that content. You can also go to um, Oneness Ministries. What's the web address for that? Is it? It's a onenessministries.org. Dot org. Yeah. Uh, yes. All right. And if it's not, if you Google search Oneness Ministries, I'm sure you'll find it. It'll come it. up. Yeah. yeah. Um, last thing, Rick. What do you want to tell the whole world? You have a moment right here where you can share anything you want. What's the number one thing, the most important thing right now that you want to share? 
that, and I want to say this to men, and women can hear it, yeah. that you are not your behavior. Hmm. In Christ, you are not your behavior. You are free from that. And you get to experience a freedom that basically most men are afraid of. They're afraid to be free in Christ. That's what I want to say to men. That's the whole point of this podcast is that there's so many things men like to do. Mm-hmm. And a lot of it's been taken away from them by culture, by the church, by their fears. We get to enjoy being men. Amen. It is a calling. <laughs> it is God-ordained and God-breathed. Men are important. Amen. That's good. Yeah. Rick, thank you so much for being a part of the podcast. Thank man. you, Jeremy. It's been, it's been a pleasure. I'm looking forward to future conversations with you uh, in other podcasts. And even this one, again, I've got some uh, ideas for you and I to talk about more specific content in the future. Okay. So, uh, again, thank you. And, uh, guys, thanks for joining us today. Again, if you, uh, if you felt led and you want to contribute, you can go to patreon.com slash streamgrace and sign up to be a monthly supporter. Uh, and you know, the best thing you could do always is to subscribe to our channels so that you're always updated with the latest conversations from Jeremy Griffin with lots of exciting, interesting guests. Thanks again. God bless. Find more episodes at streamgrace.com. Find podcasts like these at streamgrace.com. Just